Hey everyone, Ray here. So this is episode number 33 of Nero, and it's the second and final part of our conversation with Michael Tremblay, talking about Stoicism during the time of Nero. I will set out for Gaul myself and confront our enemies. They will learn the error of their ways. But why might early Christians have called Nero the Antichrist? I will quash my deluded enemy, not with the sword. I intend to sing to them. Nero has lost his mind. Let's, um... Let's talk, if we can, Michael, about uh, your your personal experience with Stoicism. How has your life uh, changed as a result of the adoption of a, of a Stoic attitude towards the world? I assume this is more than just a academic uh, exercise for you. You 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 are a Stoic yourself. Do you consider yourself a Stoic? I'm, I'm quite a Stoic. I'm leaning a bit towards Aristotelianism recently, which is, you know, don't tell people because there'll be... Um, mm. Riots my- in the streets. Mm. <laughs> yeah, people with quite, bows and arrows saying it's not my fault. <laughs> quite, a, quite a heated topic. Um, right. But yeah, no, no, I, I, I certainly was a Stoic for a number of years and I'm certain there's, there's yes, I, this is something that I practice. I practice Greek philosophy. I try to mm-hmm. embody Greek philosophy. I think they get a lot right. And the nice thing about mm. Greek philosophy is that it's built on reason, right? Marcus Aurelius right. has this lovely line, which is like, if someone could prove to me Stoicism was wrong, I would drop it in a second and adopt this other system. Like I'm after the truth. I'm not yeah. after, not I'm not after you know following this idea, right? It's not um, a religion. Ex- yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's not right. It's 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 an argument about how to live, and so there's there's a lot of modern Stoicism movements too, because what you do is you just incorporate new evidence in neuroscience and uh, you know. Uh, physics and you just bring that into stoicism and you build on it and that's possible because it's a it's an argument-based system um right so in terms of how it's changed my life um there's really i think a lot of it has been changed by the conception of emotions that it brings in i think the picture of emotions is really 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 robust because typically Mm -hmm. people come to stoicism because they're emotionally suffering because they're they're hitting highs and lows inappropriately they're angry um, they're, they're too emotional and it's so exhausting. It's exhausting. And so some offers this picture of this kind of, I think in, in a misinterpretation of it, it offers kind of this numbing picture, but right. what it provides, it provides a way to kind of take accountability for your emotional life, right? Your emotional life is not. And so I, I go into this a little bit cause I think it's really interesting. Plato had this conception of the divided soul, right? You had reason and then you had the animal. Right, and the way to be a good person was to get the reason to train the animal, so the animal did what you what you what reason wanted, right? Okay, and this gets kind of built into even even to Freud, right? Like the the uh, ego, super ego, and then the id, right? There's this conception of this division, this subconscious, this this emotional part of you that you have to wrestle with and you can't control. And what do I do? I'm like this because something happened to me when I was ten that I didn't know about, and there there might be something to that, but but at least on a certain level, but there's also something to the stoicism picture, which is that, you know, we need to take a responsibility for emotional lives and our emotional lives are the representations and the results of what we value, right? How we, how we choose to view the world around us. Mm-hmm. If we're angry a lot, let's say because people insult us, it's because we think that our 
we think we're harmed by the thing the other person is saying. We think they have, they have the capacity to harm us with words. And that's why we get angry in defense or we get upset because somebody insulted us. And so Stoicism is about kind of interrogating those value assumptions and removing the ones that we, we can deem to be false and preserving and keeping and being okay with the flow of the emotions of the ones we've, we've chosen to be true or we've mm. decided are true. And that's a really, that's just had such a profound impact on my emotional life and um, has given me the tools to kind of navigate these, these issues and these, these problems. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know, I don't know where else to go from there, but that's, that's mm. been the biggest impact. I just, I'm just happier and I feel more in control when I'm not happy because there's, there's, it's either like, this is, this is a genuine bad thing. And then I just have to ride it out because that's the way life is sometimes, or, right. um, you know, I need to do some work to, to, to be the kind of person that's not unsettled by these things that, that really shouldn't unsettle me. Uh, and, and that just reminded me when I first started reading some of the opening introductions to uh, to Stoicism. Yeah, basically you and everyone else were just looking to um, not to avoid pain, to feel good or to feel good about ourselves. But like you said, there's extremes on both ends. You can be too happy. You can be too blissful. You can make bad decisions in that state. And of course, then there's beating yourself up for a little tiny mistake. And, and what I got from Stoicism was like, you know, and, and not to beat a dead horse or whatever, but there's very little I control. Let it all go and look for that equilibrium. And that is the best we can do as humans. And then there's a whole other part about, you know, accepting mortality, which we'll probably get to later. But, but I really, I, that really appealed to me about kind of weeding out or learning to control the excesses and just kind of living here in the zone and being the best person you can be and being a, a productive, positive member of your society. Yeah, and, and just to build off that, another point that I was missing about the Stoicism 101 is that mm. the key idea of Stoicism, one of the key ideas is to live in accordance with nature. And what that mm -hmm. means is to live in accordance with the way things are. And the word they not have the way to, you want them to be. Not the way you <laughs> want them to be, the way right. things are. And mm -hmm. what nature, the word they used for nature was Greek word, it was physics, right? And oh, so it meant, okay. it meant, Sometimes you see live accordance to nature. It's like, you know, go and live in the trees or something like this. But it's not. It's like a – it's an understanding of, of the universe as it is and your place in the right. universe. Your place in the universe. You talk about, you know, overcoming fear of death. But reconciling with your place in the universe as, as a person that dies. Your place in the universe right. as a person who has a relationship with other people that die, with, with animals mm. that die, in a kind of life that is – tumultuous that will have ups and downs. So I talked a lot about value um, judgments, and I think that's part of it. You can get attached to the wrong thing. But a lot of the times, we just haven't looked in the face um, the way the world really is, or we've deluded ourselves into thinking it's something that it's not, or we've, we've adopted this kind of wishful thinking. And so when we right. talk about that equilibrium, there, there, is, there is space for joy in Stoicism, especially as you talk about like doing good things and feeling good about that. But, but things are a lot more... Uh, equal a lot more you know in the flow when you already have you already prepare for what's going to happen because you've accepted the way the world is right and you've come to terms right. with that by by actively thinking about that confronting it training yourself in that regard right i'm just a real quick uh follow-up uh cam and i apologize i was listening to one philosopher uh, who was a stoic and uh there's a book i have it I'm, I'm sure you've heard of it before there's a book about something about the law of attraction mm -hmm. that if you want something 
the universe will somehow manifest it to you. And he, he pretty much tore that to shreds. He's like, no, just accept and acknowledge the the way the world around you really is. And you can want things and you can work for things. But if you're thinking that the universe is somehow going to change whatever, and so it can provide you with this new car that you want or whatever, that's probably a bad example. But but what's your take on like the law of attraction or trying to manifest something just by, I'm not even sure what, you know, to, to think or hope for it versus actively pursuing it in steps. Yeah. So I'm going to think of like, again, I'm going to nerd out a bit here. Um, but sure. Wittgenstein, who's a contemporary philosopher, um, mm-hmm. has this, this, this philosophical theory, which is verificationism. And what Wittgenstein really criticizes in philosophy in general is whenever we use words, they should refer to something. Right. Uh, um, right. And so when, when you say something like that, my criticism is like, what does manifest mean? Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, and just say, point. just say what it means. Does manifest right. mean, oh, you tend to have more confidence. So you tend to take greater risks that have a correlation to bigger rewards. Well then, yeah, I'm right. all for that. But, but what we get sometimes in this, like, um, I guess it's just like metaphysical ways of talking. I think we mm-hmm. get, we get detached from reality a bit because, there can be some truth captured in these terms, but let's get to what that truth is, right? right. So, so the idea okay. that we, I will manifest something by putting myself in a certain mind state, well, what does manifest mean? And if you think the universe is going to change so that it will come to me, absolutely not. I think that's, that's, that's you know, hogwash. It doesn't make any sense. If you think right. I will be disposed to act in different ways when I adopt this perspective, maybe it's probably right. probably psychological literature on that and that would be valuable. And I think that's, mm-hmm. that's really, really helpful that that for me is is a tool I still use to kind of pull myself back. Even when we talk about goodness or justice or you know uh, the soul or things like this, it's always really it's like what are we referring to in the world? And that really helps pull us back in these kind of discussions. Okay, cool. Yeah, um, you know it's been my experience over thirty odd years since I was introduced to uh, philosophy seriously as a, as a young adult that mm-hmm. the cause of most uh, emotional and psychological pain I think in people's lives is that differential between how things are and how you think they should be right and if you accept things as being the way they are because of the laws of physics everything is affected by the laws of physics it's the thing that's driving the outcomes of everything if you just accept things as they are, it doesn't mean you you can't have your plans and your schemes and you're working and you're you know you've got your goals. But if you just accept things as they are, there's no room for uh, anger at somebody else. If somebody does something, but you accept that they had to do that because of who they are at this particular point in time, then it doesn't. You, you don't feel that mm. anger. You may be annoyed briefly, but it passes quickly because you. Your, your, your underlying philosophy says everything happens as it must. In my case, you know, the way I think about it, according to the laws of physics, everything is made of atoms. Every person is made of atoms. Atoms obey the laws of physics. Therefore, everything that everyone thinks, says, and does is the result of the laws of physics playing out on the atomic level. How, am, am I going to get angry with atoms? Really? Is that is that what I do? Is that how I'm going to live my life? Yeah, I know you do, right? And Damn that's you, why Adams. they that's why oh. the atoms made you short and bald. Right. You, I need you more atoms. You know, I need more atoms. Exactly. Um, Hair atoms, height atoms. 
Go ahead. Hey, have you? Uh, I wanted to hark back to something you were saying before about questioning the emotions. Are you familiar with the work of uh, Byron Katie? No, no. I think she's. Uh, she might be Canadian. She might be American. My wife uh, is a big fan of Byron Katie. When my wife got interested in philosophy about ten years ago, when she got sober mm-hmm. um, and and started to work some of her shit out, um, she she ended up getting really interested in Byron Katie. Byron Katie has written a lot of books on her philosophy um, and she talks about something, her, her, her philosophy, her process is called the work and it's like four questions. And the first, if, if you're feeling angry about somebody or something that happened, you ask yourself these four questions. And the first question is, is it true? Mm. And I think the second question is, how can I be certain that it's true? Mm. And I think the third is, how would I feel if it wasn't true? And then the fourth is uh, something about what am I doing, you know, pointing the fingers back at you, like what am I doing that's causing this to be true or something like that. But yeah, I know for my wife, just that process of asking, is it true? Getting, you're getting caught up in an emotion, well, Cameron's an arsehole because he did this and did that and he doesn't really love me. And, and so right. she, to, uh, you, know, you get caught up in those sort of emotions once they kick off. But if you stop and go, is it true and can I be sure that it's true? And then you look for evidence that it's not true and you build a case for the fact that it's not true. Had a, had a dramatic, and I think it's sort of a form of stoicism, a, a modern approach to it in, in some way. Totally is. So <clears throat> one of the key ideas in stoicism, I'm saying there's a lot of key ideas, but there's a lot here. Um, is this idea between the the separation between impression and assent, right? So the idea is when we're, mm. we're going around the world, something happens. You know, I give the example. I'm walking down the street. Somebody bumps into me. And then I have this immediate impression like, oh, this guy, you know, this guy's a jerk. He's, he, he's being rude. He hit me on mm. purpose or something. And what separates animals from humans is that we, have a, we, we are able to create a delay between that impression and believing it's true. Right. Um, and when we right. believe it's true, then we feel the emotional response. Then we have the, we have the physiological result. We get angry, we get motivated, we, we push back, something like this. But that delay is in our power. And what's especially in our power is our ability to train that in ourselves if, if we're bad at it already. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then what, what, what determines whether you believe it's true is if, you, if it is true, if you evaluate it and it does, it is actually true, then you believe it. But strengthening that ability to not immediately believe impressions, so slow that process down, reflect mm-hmm. upon those first impressions, reflect upon them accurately and well, and then only believe the ones that end up being true is one of, is one of the core tenets because the Stoics look at this extreme emotion as like a – it gets talked about like an illness or a sickness, but it has, it has compounding effects. That's the important part. They talk about when you, when you get angry, it's like you're sprinting and then you can't stop. There's momentum. You're right. rolling downhill, right? So mm-hmm. it is not just it is not just that I get angry when I shouldn't get angry. Let's say if this person was just an accident and they bumped into me by accident. It is that now I can't reason properly. I, I make poor decisions moving forward if I'm the, if I'm the kind of person to get angry. Um, so it builds itself into everything. But that's but that's part of it. You you live according in according with nature, and you do that by not believing things foolishly or carelessly by being careful about the kind of judgments you make understanding they have implications on yourself emotionally 
Right. And I and I think understanding why people do what they do, how you fit into that. Well, that's the second like part your, I wanted to build on. Yeah, great. <laughs> I, okay, well, I'll shut up then. But let me tell you a, a, a story about getting angry and impressions. So, And this gets back to the birthplace of Stoicism, Athens. I was in hmm. Athens. Uh, well, we were. We were in Athens. You were in Athens? Yep. You were in Athens. We were oh, in Athens uh, a few years ago. Was that you? <clears throat> there were so many yeah. short, bald guys there I couldn't uh, – most of them are darker than me. That we're trying yeah. to have, uh, you know, I was thinking before when you said you're into Greek philosophy, raise into the Greek philosophy of sex, which is basically just anal all the time. But, <laughs> yes. Uh, that's uh, the he's having more fun, me or you. Greek philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> I win! Just lie, just, just lie back and, uh, and, and <laughs> accept your place in nature. Um, <laughs> or bend over the table and accept it. Uh, <laughs> we were in Athens and uh, uh, my wife and I and, and, and our young son and a couple of other people were on a tram going to the beach. And I got surrounded at this one, this one uh, the, the tram stopped mm-hmm. and a, a bunch of short, fat guys got in and squeezed around me right. and were jostling me very strongly, very you know, firmly whenever the... <coughs> tram was stopping and starting and I thought I felt a hand in one of my pockets and I thought am I being pickpocketed and I kept put, like I was holding on because it was like but I'd put, try and put my hand down and there was nothing there and anyway uh, we finally got to they kept like almost knocking me over it was so rough it was ridiculous we got to a stop we got off they got off um, I turned to talk to my wife. I reached into my pocket and all my, ca- all my cash was gone that was in my pocket. I had been pickpocketed. So my first impression was I was being pickpocketed and I was like, probably not. I'm probably imagining it. You know, calm down. Yeah. They got off, took off, and I found I had been pickpocketed. And I looked around for the guys and uh, they'd gone and I searched a bit, couldn't find them because I was going to kick right. the living shit out of them. Yeah, um, Aussie style. <laughs> but... <laughs> I was angry for like a couple of minutes, but then I realized all all meant to happen. They meant they got to do what they got to do. They have to obey their nature. Mm. Um, there's no point, you know, getting angry about this isn't going to get, bring the money back or get them caught. It's a good story. I'm going to tell it to Michael Tremblay when he comes on the show four <laughs> years from now. Yeah. Um, I, you know, Head it's going to be something we'll always remember. We'll laugh about. It's an anecdote. Got pickpocketed in Athens. That kind of stuff. Right. My attitude towards it meant that the anger dissipated very quickly. Had a laugh about it instead. They only got like eighty. I, I felt sorry for them because all they got was about eighty euro. And you know, sorry. they 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 spent like a good half hour to get eighty euro. I'm like, guys, really? There was three or four yeah. of them split yeah. between them. Like, That's surely right. they could have been you know, getting a better mark than me. I mean, I know I look rich. Right, but, you do. Uh, you come across as Yeah, rich. yeah, yeah. It's you need just, a better business model. Yeah, yeah. They looked at my wife and just assumed, well, the only reason she'd be with the guy <laughs> like him is he must be money. rich. Yeah, he, that, was the, that was the conclusion. Money. He's three yeah. times her age, fat, and obviously, <laughs> you know, thick. He's got great hair, but apart from that, he doesn't have a lot so going for him. <laughs> You love it when I'm self-deprecating, Ray. Oh, <coughs> do you need I a break? It for do you, you need a little? Do you need some tissues? You okay? Um, uh, good, good. But getting back, and something else you said, like in terms of the joy of life, like harkening uh, uh, back to the point I made before. Once I learnt to accept things as they are, people, situations, events, 
just accept them as they are and, you know, figure out what I can learn from them, how I can benefit from them. But just, you know, accept them. Just pure, unadulterated, I call it extreme acceptance. Extreme acceptance, accepting everything that happens as it's it's meant to happen due to the – not because of some sort of metaphysical woo-woo uh, God wanted it to happen, but it's – or the gods – Getting back right. to ancient Greece, but because of the laws of physics, it had to happen because atoms are playing out at the level of the laws of physics. Once I fully accepted that as a philosophy when I was about 18 or 19, life just becomes joyful. There is very little that can happen to you that you can't find joy in because once you it could because again, as I said before, the 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 thing that seems to cause people most psychological and emotional upset and damage is this differential between accepting what is and mm. wishing things were different, thinking things should be different. You know, as I always say, like it's like waking up and and it's a rainy day and you wanted to go to the beach, what are you going to do? Are you going to be furious? Are you going to throw a tantrum? Are you going to kick the dog, put a hole in the wall, go out there and run around in circles and scream and yell at the weather? No, right. you just accept. You're like, oh, that's disappointing. I thought it would be sunny today, but all right, what are we going to do? It's a nice rainy day. Let's Netflix and chill. You know, you you eat some gummies and, right. and you know, get the wax, get the get the Vaseline out. Uh, you just ex- you, you accept, you pivot. And pivot. That's what everybody does. You know, if it's a rainy day, I think <laughs> most people do. But when it comes to other things, we don't we don't we don't accept life in that sort of rational that's what i think is being rational right when you accept things as they are yeah and joy is joy is the natural result of that is what i've discovered you don't need to find joy you don't need to manufacture joy if you just accept things it's just like you're like i spend my entire life going how fucking amazing is this seriously like look at what's look at what i can see around me like these atoms were made in a collapsing sun on the other side of the universe 7 billion years ago and now it's a swallow that's sitting in my garage pooping on the floor and I'm here witnessing it? Like how fucking amazing is that, that all of these things came together and the the, 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 the photons from the sun have travelled to the earth, generated in a nuclear explosion, travelled to earth in eight seconds, uh, bounced off of the atoms on the swallow that were created in an exploding sun, by the way, 8 billion years ago and travelled all the way to this side of the universe. And then and then they're going into my eye and, and the optical system in my eye is taking this photon, registering the energy, shooting an electrical signal up my optical nerve to the uh, part of my brain that goes, okay, well, there's a vibration there, so I'm going to yeah. build an image and tell Cameron what I think he's seeing there. And I've got this marvellous vista of trees and landscapes and birds and people and little puppy dogs and funny cats on Instagram. It's all being built on the fly by my brain. And and I'm like, holy shit, this is amazing. How does all this happen? And I don't even know how it works. It's crazy. Anyway, tell me about stoicism what was level two (laughs) well no that's like that's definitely a part of it right because in 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 the stoic picture happiness and excellence is not something weird it is our default state that we that we move away from right that we get corrupted away Mm. from 
Um, right. So, so happiness is like a present recognition that we are where we're supposed to be doing what we're supposed to be doing. Um, that's pretty much it. And I think that's what you're speaking to, right? A kind of reverence or an appreciation for just being embodied and being a part of the universe in the moment is really powerful. Another thing – oh, Cameron, you had something to say there? Oh, just a quick insert. The guy who was is and has been for 30 years my, uh, my philosophy guru, mentor, teacher, um, has a quip, a saying that he's always used, what's wrong with right now until you think about it? I like that. Mm-hmm. Regardless of what's going on, you could be in the middle of Kharkiv getting shelled by the Russians, but if you stop and you go, okay, well, what's wrong with right now? Like, uh, you know, you might be in a bombed-out building and you might go, okay, well, I'm hungry, yeah, okay, and uh, you know, I'm cold and uh, some of my family members are dead. But all of those things, unless you – like, right now – even those things may be true and they may be real, but what's wrong with right now unless you think about it? Okay, if you're hungry, go get some food. If you can't, then just accept your accept your hunger for right now if you can't do anything mm-hmm. about it. If you just accept things as they are, as bad as they are, there's there's a there has to be a level of um there just comes a level of peace and acceptance. Okay, I've never been in a bombed out building, so <laughs> what the fuck do I know? But theoretically I've been in some dramatic spots in my life which you know, could have been devastating or horrible or whatever. But if you just go, okay, well, what's wrong with right now until I think about it? Every no, Usually, you know, if there's nothing wrong, really that wrong. And if there is, you go, okay, well, I'll, I should do something about it. Yeah. You, you take the next step, you know. To paraphrase Marcus Aurelius here, who's a very famous Stoic, um, I think the quote goes something like, ask yourself what is unbearable in this moment and you'll be embarrassed to admit it because you'll be embarrassed to admit Nothing, right? Like nothing right. is unbearable um, in this moment. It's just the same, I like that. same idea. Um, yeah. Another point, Cameron, I was going to add to what you were saying, this pickpocketing example, which I think is the next level of acceptance, which is quite hard to get to. Because it's one thing to be like, it's raining outside, right? You use that example, but the, it's an important example because it's a, it's a, um, you know, it's a, it's a climate example. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the earth. And people are usually pretty good at regulating that. Where it gets messy is other people. That's where it gets mm. really hard to accept um, when things don't go the way you want them to. Um, and part of that solution is determinism, which is what you're talking about, right? Which is that atoms have consequences that have, you know, have been set in motion thousands of years ago. And this person is, is acting the way they're acting because that's the way the universe is unfolding. Another thing comes down to this stoic idea Another way the Stoics get around this, or that I think is helpful, is this idea that because our emotions are based off our judgments, people always do what they think is right. And that's really liberating to think, is that if you thought what that person thought and you knew what that person knew, you would do the same thing they did, right? There's no wow. there's no yeah. soul, like that person has a bad soul that is out to do evil and harming you. That is, a, you know, that is an intelligent organism that's acting based on what they think the right thing to do is in this world. And they're ignorant, but people are, if they're doing something bad, but people are going to be ignorant, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's the same mm-hmm. way. Some days are going to be yeah. rainy. Um, Tell not me, every- I've had to work with Ray for eight years. <laughs> um, you know, we do, we do a, a, another series on the cold war. Where, and, you know, I've often said uh, to the uh, disgust of many people, when we're assessing the actions of Hitler or Stalin, 
or Ho Chi Minh or Mao or uh, today in our contemporary news show, The Bullshit Fella, when we're talking about uh, Putin and what's going on in Ukraine. I always say my starting point is to assume these people are rational actors who are doing what they think is the right thing to do. We obviously may disagree with the decisions that they're making, but no one wakes up in the morning outside of a Disney cartoon and says, "I'm or or Shakespeare's Richard III, and says, I'm going to do some evil things today because I'm an evil person and isn't it awesome? Like even (laughs) Sith Lords don't think that way. Even the Emperor and Darth Vader thought they were doing the right thing. Uh, And I tended to agree because the Jedi were just whiny pieces of (laughs) shit mostly. Come on. Arrogant. Uh, Just whiny. Worst. Do-gooders, please. They need Um, to be cut down. Yeah. Come on. They wouldn't even let Anakin have sex with Amidala because he's a a Jedi Padawan? Come on, man. You would hit that. Yoda would hit that. Like even Yoda. When Yoda I would. Yeah. That's not, that's not what mm. I expected to hear coming on this. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> started, yeah. mm. See my tiny lightsaber, you will. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Green and vibrating it is. <laughs> and we're done. Lightsaber Sorry. in your pocket, that is? Oh, please, don't worry, see you are. I, I edit. I, don't worry about it. We got this. We got this. <laughs> yeah, Ray does the edit. He's high on gummies at the time. But he doesn't. <laughs> I'll probably keep uh, it in. I can't remember what we're talking about. Let's hey, move on. Yeah. Um, let's talk I, I about Seneca. I think you, Sorry, were, I think you were empathizing with Hitler was where you were at the fire. <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you. That's Say what you want about Hitler, but at no. least he killed Hitler. Um, yeah. You know, you, 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 everyone thinks they're doing the right, right. thing. And I yes. think you're right. They're in the making hero that of their stories. Yes. yes. Exactly. Could, could I ask real quick? Um, and I, and I, and I don't mean later on, like after um, Aurelius, because there's going to be an attempt by some to take Christianity and Stoicism and, you know, kind of whatever, bring them together. But before that, you know, uh, 200, 300 BC, whatever, um, would the average Stoic see this is the universe and here's God and he's in charge of the universe? Or is it God is the universe or is it just God not a part of their thinking at all? I was just curious about that. Yeah, so God God is the universe. So um, okay. so there is a there is in all things there is a rational mm-hmm. and an, ir, an irrational inert matter. The rational right. matter is what gives what gives everything shape and movement and function and, and laws. And um, mm-hmm. God is that rational matter. So by that definition, God is in everything, right? God is the, right. the, the, the laws of physics. It is not – God is not um, uh, anthropomorphized and it is not – it does not will certain things for certain people. It does not listen to you when, it, when you talk to it. Um, <laughs> Gotcha. It Don't is, pray it, to it. It is. It is the. Gotcha. It is the universe. But that being said, this rational matter mm-hmm. manifests itself in different ways, and so the mm-hmm. way that a rock has God in it, but rock has uh, a lower form of this of this divinity, whereas humans have the highest form of this divinity, uh, oh, which is the capacity okay. to reflect, the capacity to right. to um, decide, and um, 
Now, obviously, we decide based on what we know at the time, right? We're limited the same way everything right. else is limited. Nothing can stand outside the rules of the universe. Um, mm-hmm. But we are we are more self-determining than a rock is, right. which is getting pushed gotcha. around by other things, right? Whereas we're, right. we're determining our story um, in, in a certain sense. Okay, cool. Thank you. So let's talk about the role. Uh, sorry, I know we, we've gone over an hour, Michael. Do you, you have to go? So I have maybe 15 minutes, 10 minutes left. Okay, well, let's stop mucking around, Ray. <laughs> sorry, sorry my fault. My fault. Let's, let's talk about the importance of Seneca in the story of Stoicism. So um, Ray and I do another series on the Renaissance, and we've talked a lot on that series about how most of the books that were written pre-Christianity have, have disappeared. Um, the libraries were destroyed. Copies of ancient books ended up just withering away because they weren't copied by the scriptoriums mm. uh, post the emergence of Christianity. But there were some exceptions, and, and Cicero was a big one. The Christians liked to have their Cicero. Some of it, we lost some, but we, we found some, but they had their Cicero. They had their Aristotle. They kind of liked Aristotle. Um, and we have Seneca. Uh, we, 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 they they um uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for they they preserved they preserved a lot of Seneca's writings why was Seneca preserved in your view why do we have so much of him today when we've lost so much else yeah so I think it's a good question I mean I think historically you were you you already hit at it because the Christians liked him and then I guess the mm. harder questions is why the Christians why the Christians liked him why they thought they were valuable one thing I always thought right. was interesting about the relationship, and, you know, past Seneca, this is going past my wheelhouse, but I can, um, you know, we can shoot the shit about it. Um, there, there was this kind of respect, in, in, at least in early Christianity, in a way that I thought was interesting for Stoicism, where they're kind of like, you know, these people are, they're wrong. You know, they, they haven't accepted the proper God. You know, they don't right. understand. They haven't, you know, followed Christ's teaching, but they've gotten quite a bit right. Um, they've gotten quite a bit, um, you know, again, they're close to quite a bit. I mean, one of these mm-hmm. things is this, is this, I think, this prioritization of virtue, right? Um, uh. this, prioritization, this prioritization of virtue, this reverence, I w- it's a very different kind of God, but it's still kind of a reverence for the divine in a sense that you are, I guess, trying to, trying to live in accordance with it, right? And you're, mm-hmm. but, but their conception of the divine is the universe, but you're trying to live in accordance with it and you suffer and you're bad when you break out of accordance with that. Um, I thought, I, and, and again, Christianity is not my wheelhouse, but I think in um, Eastern Orthodox Christianity, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of Stoicism and especially this kind of um, Stoic um, apathy, uh, it was was perceived as like a, as like a, a, a high goal. So apathy is this is this lack of passions, is this lack of extreme emotions. Um, hmm. So those are some those are some hypotheses that I have, but I, ha- I haven't studied that area in depth. Um, but but again, all you need to do is to kind of contrast this with something. Another thing is that Stoicism was, I guess, kind of culturally transcendent in a way. So there's a lot of Plato that is very much grounded in you know, Athenian, uh, culture, right. And Athenian conceptions of what justice, masculinity, um, excellence looked like. And Mm -hmm. there's certainly that in stoicism, but it it is, you know, um, 
it is abstracted out to all of humanity, right? One thing we didn't get to talk about is that Stoicism were the inventors of cosmopolitanism, which was this idea that I am a citizen of the cosmos. You know, my polis is the universe. My polis is not Athens. So first and foremost, I am a human being. Um, And my allegiance is to other human beings before my allegiance is to um, a specific state. And I guess that's that's threatening. Yeah, and I guess that's another Christian idea, right? With this kind of unification across humanity instead of a unification Mm -hmm. across, um, you know, Greek city states or something, or even one Greek city state. But that's that's me just just uh, guessing, really, because that's not. uh, and tell us why Seneca was important in his time. Uh, like we've we've talked about his relationship with Nero uh, a lot, and uh, mm. we've we've killed Seneca off recently in the series. Yeah. And we've talked a little bit about the Pisonian conspiracy, supposedly the role of the Stoics in that. Um, we'll get to in a little bit more detail as we move forwards, particularly the final conspiracy against. Nero, but what's your view of Seneca and, and his role in, in the day? Yeah, so in the day, again, I'm, I'm coming from this from the history of ideas. I think Seneca's contribution to Stoicism was that Seneca was a, a middleman in a sense. He was, he was grounded in the practical. So he wasn't mm. – we have these teachers who, who leave society and become – you know, I like Epictetus, but Epictetus is living off outside of Rome, you know, trying to be the perfect stoic and trying to imbue this into his students where Seneca is, is very much understanding of the faults of people. And and part of this comes yeah. to his second part where he's a, he's an excellent psychologist. I was recently talking with a Seneca scholar and this view that Seneca was a proto psychologist. He was, he was really interesting in the way that people interested in the way that people thought and mm-hmm. in group tendencies, right? So, so these kind of cultural cultural tendencies to think a certain way and how that impacts culture. Um, so that's it. When you read his stuff, you talk about like, like on benefits, right? It's this, it's this very particular thing about gift giving, about um, relating in that specific stuff. He has, a, he has a book on anger, right? He talks a lot about grief and a lot about um, death and passing on. And so he's, he's deeply interested in those, in those moments of struggle, in those moments when non-Stoics are failing but are trying to become better people. And that kind of psychology, I mean, it's just, it's accessible, it's appealing, um, and it, it's uh, grounded, right, right. For, for us. Applicable. Yeah, because we're not perfect, right? We're not sages. And, right. and that's why Seneca has a kind of a, a softness, a kind of peer-to-peer. Um, I think of this, I think of Marcus Aurelius as kind of a role model, kind of the person mm-hmm. who talked the talk, walked the walk. I think of Epictetus as the teacher, the, the coach, you know, the, the drill sergeant. And you think of Seneca as the friend or the, the wise uncle who is, you know, you've kind of screwed up, you've kind of failed, and he understands that and is empathetic right. towards that, but is still guiding you towards improvement. And that's his, his I think, his unique place in those big three Stoics. Nice. Well said. Mm. I like that. Was Sorry, go ahead, Ken, because we don't have much time. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Uh, my recollection, getting back from our Alexander series, was one of the main differences between the Epicureans and the Stoics in the early days was the Epicureans believed that they had to step away from society and they had their little, uh, you know, academias where they'd go away and they'd talk and they'd sort of, they were like a hippie commune. They they wanted to get out of society, remove themselves. 
Whereas the Stoics believed, uh, no, no, you have to stay in society and play a role in society. You don't go and sit in a cave and meditate. And so, you know, and Seneca, as you say, was very, very much involved, certainly in the Nero days in society and obviously Marcus Aurelius uh, too. Yeah, so part of the Stoic, and again, this is, this is people get confused because they think, well, nothing external matters. I'll just cut my hand off. Like, what does that matter? That's not like, or it doesn't, right. I'm trying to think of, that's a extreme example, but the Stoics thought we had to live in accordance with our nature. And as I said, we're, we're mm-hmm. rational beings, but we're, we're rational social animals kind of right. in that hierarchy. So we don't do anything that compromises our virtue. And then we fulfill our social rules, our social obligations as, mm-hmm members of uh, members of a city as uh you know brothers sisters fathers mothers sons daughters mm-hmm. and then you have your kind of animal rules which is you got to feed yourself you got to get to sleep you got to do stuff like that so the stoic would say you know don't don't starve yourself for no reason don't cut your hand off but if if somebody says you know um betray your family or I'm going to whip you, then, then get whipped, right? Because your body's less important than that virtue. So there's this kind of, there's this hierarchy here, but the social uh. part is still very, very, very important to them. Um, and, you know, there's, there's pluses and minuses to that. And one thing is that it makes it a very easy philosophy to adopt because it, it can really easily graph onto any kind of life you're already living. You can, you can be uh, whatever you are and you can live it as a stoic. Um, Hmm. In some ways, perhaps that's hypocritical because you know there's some people who would think you would have to take Stoicism farther. But for the Stoics, those were the cynics. Those were the people who uh, lived outside the bounds of society and only cared about about virtue and didn't care about social convention. And that was an extreme calling. Um, you know, society just wouldn't work if if everyone did that. Whereas Stoics thought society would work fine if everyone was a good Stoic, right? Right. How is Stoicism doing today? I mean, is it is it still is it yeah. spreading? Is it growing? Is it? I mean, in the last twenty years, this is the biggest Stoicism's been since the Renaissance. I would assume there's been a massive resurgence. Oh. Um, wow! Yeah, modern Stoicism is huge right now. Um, mm-hmm. There's an annual Stoicon where people congregate to discuss Stoicism. Um, I'm there. Yeah, I'm there. it's well, it's quite fun. <laughs> um, I'm working on a Stoicism app right now called Stoa, which is. Um, uh, contemporary practice. So it, it's, it has stoicism theory, but also stoicism meditation so people can practice it. There's a lot of books out by it on stoicism right, right. now. Um, cool. and, and I think, I, again, it comes back to the point I was talking at the start is that people want uh, a way to make sense of their lives, a way to find meaning that is mm-hmm. not necessarily grounded in religion, that can be argued and wrestled with and built upon. And right. another thing Stoicism provides is it provides a really strong emphasis on, again, what you can control. Um, and that is just, that is a, I think, very psychologically satisfying and, and immediately fulfilling. Um, if yes. Epicureanism says, well, to be happy, you need to quit your job and go live on the commune, it's kind of like, well, I either do that or I don't. I'm kind of stuck. But a, a, right. any one of us, you know, anybody listening to this has probably picked up a couple nuggets of wisdom to go, oh, that, that makes some sense. I'm going to, you know, I'm yeah. going to try to not be as stressed by traffic tomorrow because it's not up to me. Like you can really incorporate it easily. Exactly. It, it, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Cam. Oh, I'm just wrapping up. If you have something important, get it in. Nope. Go ahead. All right, Michael, um, if people want to follow the development of your app and your other work, 
what's the best way for them to uh, check you out? Yeah, so I have a website. You can follow me on Twitter as well. Um, the app is called Stoa, um, so you can look that up. And if, if you thought Stoicism sounded interesting, I want to learn more, I want to practice it a bit, um, I think it's a good starting point. But other than that, as I said, Twitter and my website, I'm super communicative. So, um, you know, reach out with any questions. Do you have a podcast? Do you, have, do, you, do you have a podcast, Michael? So Stoa has – so we do a, we do a conversations with experts uh, piece. So it's, it, oh. it is a podcast. It's on the app where we, we talk to other philosophers about Stoicism and philosophy as a way of life. Um, so that's all on there too. Oh, so is they it, can get – the yeah. app is out? Yeah, the app is out. Yeah. Oh, right. Oh, cool. So where do we find yeah. it? Like in the app store? App store, yeah. Stoa? iTunes. Yep, Stoa. Oh. iTunes, Google. <laughs> Fantastic. Is it okay? Is it okay if I refer to you as today's Seneca? With, yeah. Is, is, that too, is that too much? I, I, no, because you're right. It's got to be applicable or what's the point? Don't give me philosophies. People are struggling. People are looking for some way to avoid pain and it's not religion. And yeah, the more applicable you uh, can make it. I'm cer- I'm certainly not Seneca, but it's, that's very flattered. But I, I certainly, uh, yeah, popularization You'll matters. Take yeah, I'll take yeah. If you do it yeah, without exactly. me, I can't ask for it. But if it happens... No, it's well, compared all to me, <laughs> you're Seneca. So that's always I always hang out with people. It's a good comparison that works well. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. Well, Michael, we really appreciate you coming on and putting up with yes. our nonsense. Um, and I'm looking forward to checking out the app. I urge everyone to check out the app, particularly as as I started this thing off by saying, and I've been saying it for years. My experience, anyway, having a philosophy that you've thought mm. about that that you, you that helps you understand how to live your role in the world why things happen the way they happen gives you a framework for for uh, navigating life's ups and downs i right. for me and for my wife and and my friends that have practiced their own philosophies is it could not be more important i see people all the time just getting buffeted around and they're creating these problems in their heads and i'm always thinking this is all in your head. Like the, the, all, the, all of your dramas, Literally. all your tragedies, they're all just, yeah. you know, constructs of your mind. There's really nothing there. You're just making yourself unhappy. You're addicted to being unhappy. Uh, but I want to leave you with one thing, Michael. We, we have our own philosophy that we've developed on our show. It's, very sim- it's a very simple philosophy. Uh, believe it or not, this is a real thing. <laughs> it is. It's just it D B A C D back. We just have the D back hashtag D back philosophy, right? It's the distillation of every. You know how uh, Einstein, you know, took the work of Maxwell and all of these people, and and, and he condensed it down to E equals M C squared. Well, for us, we condensed thousands of years of human philosophy down to D back. It's just don't be a cunt. That's Boom. the basic philosophy of life. It's, just, it's, it's also just, Australian. <laughs> <laughs> if you have to, like if you're trying to make a decision about what two things you should do, you just ask yourself. Is this a country just, move? Is this, no. Yeah. Am I, you know, which one am I going to be less of a cunt? Okay, this one, I'll do yeah. that. Just D-back. It's a, it's a good life philosophy. It just do the right thing. Do the right My, thing. Yes. I think, and Michael, I'm going to see you at the next I'm going to see you at the next con, okay? Oh, so great. save me a dance or whatever y'all do there. I don't know. A stoic dance. Um, and I think I'll, 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 I'll conclude with this a couple points. I mean, first, I love the work you two are doing in making philosophy and history accessible and entertaining for people. I think that's great work. Um, another point with the D-back is I think there's 
and this comes back to the point about like have a philosophy. There's a lot of ways to live right. Um, there's a lot of there's a, there's a multitude of right ways, but it's pretty clear when you're living wrong, and that's a great way to start. Uh, is just like don't do the wrong stuff is a pretty easy way right. to start. People don't I think jerk. Are intimidated by well, what's the right way? Um, right. And the final piece. I can't advise Stoicism to you. That's too presumptuous. I don't know if Stoicism – for people listening, I don't know if Stoicism is 100% right. I think it is, but I'm, I'm still figuring this stuff out for myself. But sure. I can encourage you to live intentionally. And that's what you're talking about, Cameron. Regardless of what you believe, put time into this. It, it, really, it really pays back to, to think about what you value. Think about what's important to you. Think about um, you know, how you want to live your life. Adopt a philosophy. I think that's important regardless of what it is. And that's what I really encourage people to do. Well, well said. said. Thank you, sir. Round of applause. Well, be- better than, better than anything I got. So <laughs> I say we end on that. So, yeah. Thank you, Michael. Great. Thanks, guys.